gate, please make sure that your seatbelt is securely fastened. To fasten, insert the metal tip into the buckle and pull the strap. I am personally a huge fan of traveling, especially flying. I love the bustle of the airport, buzz of the caffeine in my veins, and the excitement of visiting somewhere new. I recently traveled to Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, for a Model United Nations conference where I'd prepare to represent Qatar, or Qatar, a nation in the Middle East that occupies a peninsula on the eastern border of Arabia, which touches Saudi Arabia and juts into the Arabian Gulf. After having done extensive research on Qatar, the Middle East, and Islam to prepare for the conference, I found myself, for the first time, wondering what it would be like to be Muslim in the same airport. I also questioned why I had never tried to put myself in their shoes before. Unfortunately, air travel for many Arabs and Muslims across the globe has become an experience directly associated with discrimination. According to ArabNews.com, the phenomenon is called, quote, flying while Muslim and involves the racial profiling of Muslims or people who are deemed to be Muslim-looking at airports or on board aircraft. These people are instantly under suspicion for otherwise normal and mundane activities, including speaking Arabic, watching or reading news on their phones, or simply because they look Muslim or more often than not, are of Middle Eastern origin, end quote. It has become more than uncomfortable gazes, but has manifested into aviation security taking extreme measures, including aggressive security screenings and even canceling entire flights with no evidence of foul play simply because someone on the flight was Arab. These security measures are critical to our national and international safety. However, when the actions taken to ensure the safety are informed by prejudice and misinformation, it creates a huge problem for Muslim and Arab people everywhere. The horrific tragedy of 9-11, a terrorist attack by the Islamic extremist group Al-Qaeda, is undoubtedly one of the most painful parts of our collective history. The attack, done by a minute and violently radical sect of the religion, has informed the inaccurate stereotypes placed upon Muslim and Arab people. Through my research and conversations with today's guest, I have found that Islam is a beautiful religion that promotes tranquility, love, and respect. There's still so much that I don't know about Islam and experiences I'll never have. Today, I wanted to not only emphasize the struggles Muslim and Arab people have to endure while flying, but also introduce some of the experiences Muslim people have on a day-to-day -day basis. Thankfully, I have a friend, Jana Abdrabo, whom I could call to share her story. Marhaba ana ismi ismi, or... Hello, my name is Yasmin. This podcast is dedicated to exploring identity within the context of physical and non-physical environments. I hope to allow my interviewees a safe space to share the unique story of who they are, where they've been, and how those forces interact. 
Before each episode, I must acknowledge that no one person can speak for an entire community. Even so, far too many groups are labeled with a single story, and hopefully each episode of this podcast can open up the narrative to one more. My name is Yasmin Ware, and this is Yasmin's Warehouse. Today, I'm interviewing one of my best friends, Jana Abdrabo. Marhaba, ana ismi Jana Abdrabo. Hey, my name is Jana Abdrabo. Jana is an international studies major at the University of Mississippi, studying the Middle East and Arabic. She's a Virgo with a deep affinity for the color pink, a swimmer at heart who loves to travel, too. So, I was born and raised here. And my parents are from Syria, and they moved here a couple of decades ago. Here being Mississippi. I identify myself as an Arab, Syrian-American Muslim woman. I'm a first-generation Syrian-American. I associate with two different cultures, the American culture and the Arab culture, and my intersectional identity is a huge part of who I am. Like I have growing up as an African-American woman, Jana is critically aware of the stereotypes that may be placed upon her. I am very aware that the way that I look gives people a certain idea of me. And I know we just, I feel like as humans, we just do that in general, though. We just make appearances, we make assumptions based on external appearances. And we definitely shouldn't do that, but... I don't see that changing anytime soon because a lot of times that's all we have to go off of is just what we see. But I know from my experience that people have made a lot of inaccurate assumptions. And they just make assumptions in general, like whether they're right or wrong, positive or negative. It just depends on the person. I can't sit here and I like speak for everyone and say that everyone has the wrong assumptions about me or everyone has right ones. But I know from looking at me, people usually assume my ethnicity, my religion, my culture, And they also, I know they could assume my beliefs and opinions on certain issues. And I, I don't, I don't know. I feel like for Arabs and Muslims, I feel like most people can agree that usually the assumptions towards us are more negative than they are positive just because of the things that people say about Arabs and Muslims. Something that I've discussed with Jana, especially after doing research for Qatar for Malta United Nations, is that I've learned little to nothing about Middle Eastern history. The Syrian civil war started in March of 2011. So basically, a quick summary. In 1971, the Assad regime came into power when Hafez al-Assad became president, and he basically implemented an authoritarian regime in the country. And when he passed, his son Bashar al-Assad became president in the year 2000, and he promised a lot of reform and democratic changes in the country, but obviously he didn't implement them. Long story short, he was promising a lot of reform and changes that the Syrian people just weren't seeing. And if anything, actually, the country was just becoming more authoritarian and just worse and more strict. And... It was 2011, that's when people, like with the Syrians, they were like, we've had enough of this, you've been promising us so many democratic things and like new changes that we just aren't seeing. And I'm pretty sure I could be wrong, but I think that the first like sign of 
rebellion was graffiti and i think that's what like that's when it started they started trying to suppress people and because they were trying to express their discontent with the regime and there was such an extreme suppression of freedom of speech and heavy government censorship the government started attacking civilians in an effort to get them to stop speaking out and to be silent so they were kidnapping murdering and torturing innocent syrians to try to get them to conform it's only gotten worse ever since i'm pretty sure basically everyone is aware of the Syrian civil war and the humanitarian crisis that's going on there. Like other immigrants and displaced people, the conflict in Syria has destroyed communities and homes. My family and I used to go to Syria every summer, but after the war began, we couldn't go anymore. And I literally used to spend my entire summer visiting my relatives and our family friends in Syria, but that became impossible when the revolution started because it was just way too dangerous for us to go. But I will say a positive that came out of the situa situation was that since we didn't have that home to go to anymore over the summer, our family began traveling to different places instead. So every summer since then, we've been going to different, like, going to different places, and my parents have really implemented in us that traveling makes you a more well-rounded person. And we all enjoy learning about different cultures and lifestyles. So I'm lucky that I've been able to have those experiences. So I guess there was a positive that came out of the war, for my family at least. And that also sparked my interest in international studies because I like to learn about different places and cultures and how they interact with each other. I personally don't feel displaced per se because I was born and raised here, so I never had that experience that would qualify me for feeling displaced. But I will say I've talked to people who were raised in Syria and who now live in America, and they definitely do feel like they are in some sort of limbo. Like, for example, I've had conversations with my mom where she's expressed that she's Syrian at heart and that culture will always be with her forever. But she's been living here for so long that she now also associates with American culture too much to where if she went back to Syria, she wouldn't really feel like she belongs and like Syrians probably wouldn't consider her to be truly Syrian. But she's also not truly American either, obviously, because she spent a huge chunk of her life in Syria. So that's definitely a universal immigrant experience, though. Like, I feel like they don't truly belong to either culture and they have a hard time feeling at home in either environment. However... I do think it is different for those of us who were born in America and have lived here our whole lives because it's easier for us to feel at home here because we don't have the other side of it and the experiences of living in two different countries. But I will say that there are times when I've had a minor identity crisis, if you would call it that, where I feel like I don't really belong anywhere. That doesn't happen often, thankfully. What Jana is referring to, and something that we've actually discussed in our introduction to international studies class, is the idea of the hyphenated identity, an experience that many immigrants have to where they can associate with both cultures but feel like they don't fully belong to one. Now, going back to the incomplete knowledge that most people have about the Middle East, I asked Jana what misconceptions she feels uneducated people may have about the region. I've heard a lot of people say, and I've had people ask me in the past whether or not I think the Middle East can handle democracy. I find it a little offensive, to be honest, because I don't think that that should be a misconception. I don't think it's fair to assume that a group of people can't handle democracy just because of the current state of the Middle East. I think that with the current regimes in place and with the wars and the humanitarian crises that people may assume that Arabs can't handle democracy, but I definitely do believe it's a temporary thing and it shouldn't be classified as a race issue. 
it's just unfair to place that label on an entire huge group of people as if it's like a problem that they're born with it's in their blood they just can't handle it that's not the case at all this misinformation has manifested into prejudice towards Jana and her family. Yeah, so my mom wears a hijab, which is a headscarf for those of you who don't know. So it's really obvious to everyone that she's Muslim. And then so whenever I'm with her, obviously I'm Muslim because I'm her daughter. And living in Madison, Mississippi, the Muslim population is significantly smaller than it is in other bigger and more diverse cities. So there have been multiple instances where we go out in public where people will just give us dirty looks or be rude. Oh, this doesn't happen often, but it's happened a few times where someone will tell their kid to back away because they associate Islam with violence. And there's this, like, the conversion issue also. There have been times where people have stopped my mom and I in a parking lot and tried to convert us to Christianity and stuff like that. It's just kind of annoying because it's like, why can't you just let me practice my religion in peace and you can practice yours without going out of your way to try to make me like you? Especially if you're in a, like, a parking lot with your kids, it's really not the time or the place. And there's the black sheep in class scenario that has happened to probably most Muslim kids in America when we're learning about 9-11 or terrorism and people start looking at you because you're the obvious Muslim in the class. That definitely happens to everyone who looks different though, so I'm not saying that's just a Muslim person issue, but it's definitely an issue. As I've gotten older though, it's definitely gotten more bearable. But I remember being in elementary school and like middle school and on 9-11, I would want to skip school because I knew that I was going to feel singled out or for like lack of better word, bullied. This hasn't happened in years and I think it's because once you get to high school, teachers don't really have time in their syllabus to spend a whole class period dedicated to 9-11. But as a kid, we would spend the whole school day reading articles and watching documentaries or brain pops about 9-11 and I'd feel awful the whole day because my classmates would turn to look at me or ask if I supported terrorism and just stuff like that. It's like, it's little things, but I still remember it years later. I've also had teachers on 9-11 stop and be like, Jana, you're Arab, right? You're Muslim because Al-Qaeda is supposedly Muslim. And it's, it's, it's situations like those where you have no idea how you're supposed to react because you're a kid and you haven't really learned how to stand up for yourself. And I know I'm not the only Muslim or Middle Eastern person that feels that way. Like I've talked to my friends and my siblings and stuff about this. And I know we used to all dread going to school on 9-11 because we just hate whenever people bring up terrorism because 9 out of 10 times, someone is going to start looking at you or making an unnecessary and rude comment about it. And it's just situations like those where it's just better to avoid it. Or I would like prefer to avoid it than have to go to school and deal with it. Unfortunately, a day that students should be learning about a pivotal part of American history and grieving has become a classroom experience where Jana has felt isolated and judged. Muslims in America were a minority pre-2001 for sure, but after 9-11, rather than just being a minority, Muslims and Middle Easterners were painted in this extremely negative light and people started viewing them as a violent and aggressive minority rather than just like an irrelevant one, I guess. It's very clear that people now associate terrorism with Islam, and it's really sad to think about because it's such a peaceful religion, but the people who have no information about the religion or Arabs or anyone in that realm will just believe what they see in the media and assume the absolute worst about us and even begin to fear us. And it's just amplified this issue that shouldn't have been an issue to begin with. The culprit of this misrepresentation? The media.
Interestingly enough, despite some of the negative connotations ignorant people may have towards Islam, murdering an innocent soul is one of the seven destructive sins of the religion. And one of the seven major sins is killing someone for no reason. I don't know if many people know that, but it's definitely a thing. And I'm pretty sure the only exceptions to that rule are if it's self-defense or if you're on a battlefield. But in any other scenario, murder is strictly forbidden. And if you are truly Muslim, you are against violence. And if you kill someone, you aren't even considered Muslim anymore and you're like doomed to hell. So it's really disappointing to see and hear so many rumors about Islam supporting terrorism, considering it's explicitly stated in the Quran and throughout the religious texts of the religion that it is forbidden and should not be supported under any circumstance. And fun fact, the word Islam actually comes from the Arabic word salama, which translates to peace in English. So the religion is built around peace and love for yourself and others, so it's just really sad to see people twist it in such a horrible way. And the narrative circulate, circulating around Islam isn't, just it just basically isn't, 100% is not accurate at all. And the media definitely amplifies that false narrative exponentially. When Jana originally told me about the stark difference between the way ignorant people may characterize Islam and the actual tenets of the religion, I had a moment where I questioned how it's possible that the stereotypes could be so prevalent. Even so, I quickly connected it to the unfortunate reality of under- and misrepresentation in the media and our school's curriculums. With all of these factors in mind, I open the space for Janet to share how she feels meeting new people, especially in places like the American South, where Syrian and Muslim people are a minority. I definitely have a lot of anxiety when I meet new people. And I know like a lot of people tend to worry about how others will perceive them, but I think with me, the problem is that I'm Arab and Muslim, and I know that there are so many negative preconceived notions towards my ethnicity and religion, though that I worry that those assumptions will influence how people will think of me and how they'll treat me in response to those assumptions. And I've been in situations where I was the only foreign-looking person in the space, and I've worried like what people were thinking about me, especially with like knowing the horrible reputation that follows those parts of my identity being Arab and Muslim. And I think a lot of minorities can actually relate to this, but I do feel like I have this sort of responsibility to Islam to act in a decent manner. Not that I don't already act decent, but like make sure I don't slip up or do anything that's going to like confirm anyone's inaccurate beliefs about me or my religion. And I guess I have the mentality of like, I'm an ambassador for Arabs and Muslims in a way because for a lot of people in Mississippi, especially in Madison and like our schools, I'm probably one of the only Arab Muslims they know. And I feel like even now, I'm probably one of the only Arab Muslims they will ever come in contact with. So I want to leave a good impression so that their opinions of my religion aren't skewed. And I wouldn't want someone to be like, oh, Muslims are actually mean, rude, and other negative attributes that they already thought just because they had a bad interaction with me. Like, I don't want that to be my fault. And I know it's not, but it's something that's always in the back of my mind and I always think about and worry about. A common experience amongst minorities, especially children in diverse settings, is the pressure that the way you behave may, in some people's eyes, reflect an entire community. Of course, no one person or even large group of people could ever represent the nuances of intersectionality and beliefs within a social group. 
But unfortunately, without accurate and adequate representation, an individual minority person's behavior can alter the way an uninformed person may view the group. For many, many, many years, I was the only Arab and or Muslim in my entire school. I feel like more Muslims and Arabs have moved here in recent years, but like in elementary and middle school, I was in elementary school, I was the only one. In middle school, there was more. But for so many people, I was the face of the religion or culture because I was the only one they had to prove or disprove their assumptions on Islam in the Middle East because I was the only one that they knew, like the, like a real life Muslim and Arab who could confirm their beliefs. So the pressure that came with that was huge because I knew I had to always be on my best behavior 24-7 and my parents would tell me that too. And I know that that responsibility shouldn't be on me, but I just felt like that. And I know someone shouldn't base their entire opinions and beliefs on a group of people based on their interactions with one person in that group, but the sad reality is that people do do that and you know that. So whether I like it or not, I do have that responsibility to represent the community accurately and in a positive way so that people don't have those negative assumptions towards their religion and identity. And I guess the thing that's at the forefront of my thoughts at all times is don't do anything that's going to make people think negatively about Islam or the Middle East. And I've learned to live with it and I just hope I'm doing a decent job at not making it look bad. When I first introduced the idea of doing this episode with Jana, as we were discussing the different facets that we've already gone over today, something that I confided in her was my disbelief at the critical lack of information that I had about the Middle East and Islam. Jana and I are only familiar with the Mississippi school system, and from our experiences, however, it is heartbreaking how little I was taught about the region and the cultures therein. I would consider myself passionate for learning about international affairs and cultures different from my own. But you shouldn't have to be to receive a foundational education of all the regions in the world. So guys, I know that this may be a little bit stressful, but don't worry, there's hope. I asked Jana what she thought some solutions may be and something that I completely agree with is just education. It is crucial to look up information about the religion and culture from valid sources and educate yourself because ignorance is extremely dangerous. And I also recommend asking if you have questions about the religion or the culture. And I know in our friend group, you guys will ask me questions about Islam and I'm always really happy when you guys do that because I take it as you're willing to see a new perspective and hopefully I can influence your view of the religion positively rather than just have you keep thinking whatever you're thinking if it is bad which you guys aren't prejudiced but like some people are so I guess my main takeaway would be just to educate yourself and don't assume that what you see in the media about Islam and the Middle East is 100% accurate because most of the time it really isn't But that goes for absolutely anyone. Like, just don't ever assume that the view that the media is portraying of a certain group of individuals is true because it's most of the time biased and unfair. Lack of education is the perpetuator of negative stereotypes. If you have nothing to counter this misinformation with, then misinformation is all that you have. 
And always remember that we are all more similar than we are different. And once you stop trying to fixate on our differences and trying to find the differences between me and you, like my group and your group, then it'll be a lot easier to accept people and just live peacefully. So what has made me feel more comfortable, and I don't want to speak for everyone because personality types are different, and this could possibly end up making someone feel more uncomfortable, but for me personally, I appreciate when people ask me questions. I like answering them, and I think it's beneficial for both parties. I like when people are willing to see a new perspective, and it makes me feel better. Like, for example, when people ask me if Islam supports a certain issue, I like being able to say no, and it doesn't, and here's why, and here's the evidence, because it's way easier than having someone believing, it's way better than having someone believing untrue statements. So probably not everyone is comfortable with being asked questions, because some people are just more shy. And I don't know, I guess some people have less information too, so they don't want to give you wrong information, so they might be uncomfortable with you asking. But I would just recommend looking up stuff, but make sure that the sources are valid and reliable first. Like, don't go around believing like the first thing that comes up on Google. Wow. I hope it's not just me when I say that that was a phenomenal conversation. I loved hearing about Jana's experiences growing up as an Arab Muslim woman in the American South. And again, this is only Jana's story, but hopefully listening to her made you question your biases and reflect on the beauty of Islam. I know that I have, and I'm so excited to learn more through my education and through talking to more of you. An analogy that I like to use when I explain why I love talking to different people so much is that we all have our view of the world, right? Often positioned by the layers of our intersectionality. But the more people you talk to, the more you listen to the way they perceive the world, the more likely your perception of the world in turn will expand. And the best part is you can have this experience talking to literally anyone. When we all share honestly and listen intently, together we can work to see the world as it is, filled with the nuances of life, tragedy, hope, culture, love, support, and most importantly, all of you amazing people within. I am so grateful to have this platform and to share this experience with you. It's been an amazing journey with all of you, and I cannot wait until next time. Thank you so much. And I'm Yasmin Ware. This was Yasmin's Warehouse. Shukran ala istimaikum. Thank you guys for listening.